0: Hello, and welcome to the Picture Books to Gang's interview series, Picture Books and Justice. Picture Books and
1: Justice is a series where we interview a creator from the picture book world and get to know them a little better.
0: To us, there's nothing better than a beautiful, spellbinding picture book that has social justice themes. PB&J is your afternoon book snack, so let's dig in.
1: Hi, everyone. Future Corey here. I wanted to give a little background info on our awesome PB&J guest this week, author and illustrator Christopher Silas Neal. Christopher Silas Neal is an award-winning author and illustrator of picture books, including Over and Under the Snow with author Kate Messner, which was praised for its, quote, stunning retro-style illustrations by the New York Times, along with Over and Under the Pond and Up in the Garden and Down in the Dirt. He makes books that feature animals, shapes, science, friendship, and silliness, and strives to create diverse and inclusive characters that reflect the kids and parents who read his books. Neil's author debut titled Everyone was praised by Publishers Weekly as quote simple, honest, lyrical. His board book series, Animal Colors, Animal Shapes, received starred reviews from Publishers Weekly and Kirkus. He speaks about his books, the art making process, and his career at schools, conferences, libraries, and book festivals across the country. Christopher Silas Neal is a Mexican-slash-European-American artist who lives with his wife and two boys in Brooklyn, New York. All that information I just stated can be found on his website, which will be linked in the show notes below. Also stay tuned for my full review of the most recent over and under book in the series, which takes place in the rainforest. It is of course a delight, and I love it. I'm also a huge fan of his illustrations in Hurry Up, a book about slowing down. I hope you enjoy this interview, which was a really amazing experience, and we even chatted for a bit after recording was finished. Telling secrets, obviously. Some of my favorite bits of the episode are hearing about how much Chris's schedule has changed during the pandemic, which I think will resonate with so many other parents juggling their children's education and their own careers at the same time. And also when some really aggressive birds take up residence outside my window. And on that note, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everyone, this is Corey from the Picture Books to Gang podcast. And today I actually have the pleasure of speaking with illustrator, Christopher Silas Neal. Hello, how are you today?
0: I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, my pleasure. We absolutely love your art in my house. So it was like a dream to be able to chat with you.
0: Oh, thanks for saying so.
1: Of course. And so I guess we'll just jump right into it. And I would really just love it if you could talk a little bit about why you got into art and maybe your process of when you're creating it.
0: So how I got into art and became an illustrator is... Um, An interesting story, and basically, well, interesting to me. (laughs) As a kid, like most kids, I drew all the time. Loved to draw pictures, loved to make art. Even when I got into video games, I would spend time drawing and creating my own video games on paper. I would draw movie characters, comic book characters, so I loved to draw. And I also loved music, and I'm a drummer. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) And so I played, I also played music all throughout my childhood and into high school. And I ended up going to school for music after I graduated high school and studied percussion. The very last semester of my final year of school, I took a graphic design elective. This was in 1999. And websites were just starting to pop up and become popular. And so uh, on my own, I had done a little bit of HTML and learned websites and just thought, in addition to being a musician, you know, maybe I could start looking into some sort of creative field and maybe perhaps graphic design or advertising or web design. And I took this design elective and the, the teacher of the class gave me a job after the semester. Whoa. Yeah.
1: That's cool.
0: Yeah, it um, it was a really great opportunity for me. I really didn't know much. For whatever reason, he saw something, he thought there would be an opportunity there. And so I worked for him for three or four years learning about graphic design on the job. And so that's basically my art education.
1: That's so cool. I love that you squeaked it in right under the graduation wire on the last semester. That's serendipitous.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And then, uh, and this was in Boulder, Colorado. Mm -hmm. That's where I was going to school. And I grew up, I grew up in many places, but when I was 13, I moved to Colorado. So I went to high school there. And after about four years of working at this small studio in Boulder, I decided to move to New York. And there wasn't any real reason to move to New York. I just wanted to change. I wanted to get out of Colorado. I wanted to try living in a big city. And when I moved to New York, I started meeting illustrators. And I was like, I want to do that. Like, what do you do? Uh, I, made a, I met a illustrator named Rachel Solomon, who does a lot of works uh, for magazines. And she, she's also a painter and sculptor. And she said, this is what you do, you know, you create a portfolio based on things you're reading in magazines, you send postcards to art directors, and you make a website. And I just did all those things and became an illustrator. It was, it really happens. She just laid it out so simply, and I just watched her and her friends and what they were doing, and I just tried my best to emulate it, and it sort of worked.
1: I love that. I love the idea that you don't need formal schooling and, you know, secondary education to get into a career. You know, you can sort of create like a community and everybody can lean on each other and mentor each other. I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah, you know, that's that is my favorite thing about being an an illustrator and picture book author is that you really there are no official rules on how to do it. You don't have to go to school. Everyone comes into it their own way, but there's no official there's no official way. Many people go to art school, many people if they're a writer study writing or literature or something at a college, but it's not necessary. It's not like being a lawyer or a doctor or an architect or something where you need certifications. Thankfully so for doctors. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Seriously?
0: But yeah, so anyone can do it and it just depends on, you know, having Access to and being exposed to illustration in that way and having the space and time to, to work on it.
1: Would you say that your family sort of encouraged artistic expression growing up, or is that something that you found in this community when after you moved to New York?
0: I would say uh, my family definitely did. So I grew up with my mom, a single mom. She had me when she was really young, and we moved around a lot. Um, We didn't always have a lot of money, so there was a lot of instability in my life. But at the same time, I learned a lot of things from her. And one of the things was, because we were moving around, because she was younger, she didn't have a nine-to-five job. And she did different things to make ends meet. You know, she would be a nanny. She taught at my preschool when I went to preschool. She would just do things here and there. And it taught me that you don't have to have a nine to five. And I think that allowed me again to have that mental framework of, oh, I can just be an artist and sort of make ends meet putting things together. And also she's creative in her own way. She's, she's really good. at I would say in an alternate life, she could be an interior decorator. She makes her own furniture and decorates her house and repurposes things and and does all of the labor too like she's she's really good at that stuff and so she's really creative person
1: i can draw a lot of parallels with what you just described about your life with my life as well which is really neat and i would totally describe my mom the same way one of the most creative crafty people that i've ever met uh and definitely not afraid to hustle to get it done so yeah
0: Yeah, definitely. That's a good word for it. There was definitely hustle going on.
1: I guess returning more to ask just a little bit about your art, when you're illustrating books that are nonfiction, like Over and Under the Rainforest that just came out, is your process any different than uh, when you were, say, illustrating Hurry Up or another fiction book?
0: Yeah, you know, the process is different. And the main process is there basically reference so when i'm doing a nonfiction book there's a lot more photographic reference happening and making things making sure things have a certain amount of accuracy or look a certain way and so for the books that i do with kate mesner the over and under series mm-hmm. even though my art isn't realistic by any means at all there's still a lot of scientific accuracy that goes into them, and we actually uh, Chronicle Books has a, a scientist and a fact checker look over my art and just make comments on things like the body language and the flora that's happening, and just you know just various little notes to make sure that they're accurate and within my own way of making art. And so none of that happens when I do um, a fiction book. I just sort of do it the way I want to do it.
1: That job at Chronicle sounds so fun. I had no idea that that was an option for a scientist to work in publishing, but that sounds so rad. That's super cool.
0: Yeah, it is super cool. I mean, so they're hired as a consultant and I don't Mm -hmm. know if they do like all of Chronicle's books and if the consultant does other books, I should ask more about that. If it's like, I mean, I'm assuming it's sort of a side thing and they're probably also, either a writer or a scientist or something else, but these people have this expert knowledge and they consult with Chronicle books on at least our books.
1: Chronicle, if you're listening, I need to know more. Please tell me more. (laughs) What does a typical day look like for you?
0: Uh, Well, now that we're in the middle of a pandemic. It uh, is still
1: happening. Yes.
0: yes. (laughs) Uh, My typical day has shifted quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say, you know making books and making art has definitely taken a back seat to taking care of my kids and and I'm so I'm married and my spouse also works full time and so we are both equally putting our job on the back seat and just working when we can. A typical day for me is I wake up, I make coffee, I make my kids breakfast, they are already on their iPads playing video games. <laughs> And so then I make breakfast, I do a little bit of exercise, and then I hop on the laptop with my kids and I help facilitate remote learning. And I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. And so for the four-year-old, that is a lot of singing and looking at shapes and things like that. And then for my seven-year-old, there's a few... Uh, back and forth questions with the teacher and then there's learning apps that he uses and so after the in the remote learning we keep pretty small we don't opt into a lot of stuff we just do you know the bare minimum and then then we do our own sort of curriculum with the kids and so my spouse does an art class with the kids i take the boys out front and we grab our skateboards and we learn how to skateboard Sometimes we'll research random things and learn about it. So the other day we learned about how bubblegum is made. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and basically uh, she and I are off and on with the kids until the afternoon. And then I get a couple hours of work. Nice. And then I make dinner for the kids and we're back to playing and doing bedtime and all that.
1: It sounds like a very full jam-packed day. Yes. <laughs> uh, I used to be a classroom teacher as well. I used to teach four and five-year-olds and then ran like a science club for first and second graders. So I know what you're in. I know yep. what you're, you're deep in. And it sounds super fun, though. I really like that you're sort of following their lead with the, the inquiry learning. So valuable.
0: We're trying our best. You know, our, our, our seven-year-old is very resistant to remote learning. Uh, it's excruciating sometimes for him and for us. He he let the whole household knows that he doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it's a challenge, and we do try to let him lead as much as possible without him just playing video games all day. Like, how can we get him to engage in something else and have it be his choice? You know, for a little bit.
1: Yeah. I think that's a very common struggle across many households all over the place. When you do get that, you know, couple good hours of working, do you find that it's easier for you to concentrate on, you know, making the art and designing, or do you feel like, oh, now I can have a break, sort of?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Well, it's definitely less luxurious than in the past, before the pandemic, I, I have a studio space. So I would go to the studio space after my morning routine and, you know, I could work on something for an hour and then take a break and then read something and then work on something else and then eat lunch. And it was, you know, it was a six to eight hour day and it was broken up. And I had a, 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 so much alone time, which for me, I really enjoy. Ditto. And so, yeah. <laughs> So that's gone, obviously. So now when I get that two hours in the afternoon, sometimes it really is focused and really easy to work. And it's like, wow, I really just got a ton done in that two hours, a whole day's worth of work. And sometimes I just have trouble concentrating. And... I work for an hour on something, and I'm like, everything I worked on is not working at all, and I have to start over. And now I can't even do it. I just need to watch something on YouTube or <laughs> scroll <laughs> the internet because it's just not working. Or just go see what my kids are up to.
1: Yeah.
0: So it can be it, it can be a struggle on those days where it's frustrating. It feels like, well, this just isn't working. I'm <laughs> yeah. It can be really frustrating. But on the days where everything locks in and I'm in, you know, what they call a flow state. Mm -hmm. get there really quickly that's really nice.
1: Yeah that must be really nice and really rewarding to be able to look back and have you know like a physical representation that's probably a little bit more gratifying than like a giant spreadsheet. Although I don't know maybe people really love looking at giant spreadsheets that they made. Uh, I'm not. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: I guess just switching to sort of think about the publishing industry in general. Do you think that we're going to start to see shifts in how things maybe come out of the publishing industry or how the publishing industry operates because of the last six or seven months?
0: Mm-hmm. Um And are you referring just to the pandemic and people working at home?
1: I think I, well, I know. Uh, I don't know why I said I think. I am generally referring to both the pandemic and the fact that we've seen so much uh, social upheaval and very long overdue renewed interest in different social movements like uh, Black Lives Matter and more widespread protesting.
0: Yeah, right. So the racial unrest and all of the protests that is a very hard question to answer. Um, Hard-hitting
1: journalism here.
0: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I can say I think a lot of a lot of people in publishing want things to change and are doing their part the best way they know how to make things change in terms of just th- specific things like having. Uh, more representation for Black readers and Black authors and African-American communities, you know, that's going to take more structural change to make that happen. You know, one of the things that we haven't seen yet is a huge shift in, from the top down in publishing. Mm-hmm. So, so, for instance, when, uh, I would say 90% of the editors and art directors I work with are white women. So that is the demographic. And so until that diversifies a little bit, then you know, I think that's one of the next steps, I can say for sure, is diverse, adding more diversity to the publishing and the gatekeepers and the, and the people that are buying manuscripts, um, setting the course for the publishing and uh, where the books are headed, you know, the, some of those big picture things. I think that is something that needs to happen. Um, Yeah,
1: I agree with you. I don't know if you ever get a chance to look at, Lee and Lowe does a survey of the publishing industry every few years and they did one last year and it's really interesting to see the different demographics that are in the publishing industry. And exactly like you said, I think this might not be the exact percentage, but I think it's like 78% of people that work in publishing are white cisgender heterosexual women, which is very similar also to early education. You see that sort of like monolith of white women, which also calling out for anybody that doesn't know what I look like, I am a white cis woman, you know, but I also think it's important that we like name it and then we think about how to make those changes exactly uh, what you were referring to.
0: Yeah, you know, it's and again, it's not <laughs> there's there's it's not an easy answer. I mean, adding more diversity to the workplace sounds easy, but it just you know, even if we did that, there would be other things that we have to unlock that smarter people are talking about to make all of the changes happen. Um that's just one thing that that I can name. It would Absolutely. be a good step. But it seems like there is more interest and Having, at least in children's book publishing, there's more interest in authors of color, queer authors, things like that. So, and bringing all of those voices in together more. That's what it seems like for me, from what I'm seeing, from like, you know, the the media that I consume and the Instagram feed, all of the books that people are celebrating, it seems more diverse. I don't have any hard numbers on what's selling or, you know, what people are actually reading. Yeah. I, don't Me know neither.
1: I, I would love yeah. them. <laughs> send, send all that data my way. I want to investigate. Yeah. So Chris, what's your biggest piece of advice to anybody uh, about their bookshelf?
0: Well, I would say as, as a dad, you know, one of the biggest things is to let kids really decide what they want to read and let them sort of drive you know, drive the car, in, in terms of what's on their bookshelf, and of course, w- the younger the kid is, the less opportunity they have to make those choices. In which case, look for the those diverse lists to get a diversity in the authors that they read. Of course, bring in your classics. As they get older, they'll start to make decisions on what they want to read, and it's not going to look like what you want it to look like. <laughs> it just isn't. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna. It's one of those things where kids, they always zig when you zag. Mm -hmm. So you build up the expectations. Oh, I can't wait to show them this book or, Oh, I can't wait to do this thing. Um, when it comes to that moment, Oh, check out this thing. They're like, um, no, thanks. And (laughs) And then that's it. And you kind of, you have to let go of some of those expectations and just let them drive.
1: For sure. So many moments in the classroom when I was the most jazzed to do an activity <laughs> or read a book, and instead it digressed into a 20-minute conversation about something equally as cool, but about something that I did not anticipate would be equally as cool. Yeah. And it's fascinating. I love how those tiny little brains work. It's it's great.
0: Kids, yeah. they're pretty ruthless. And what books they like or don't like. And so I'll do um, a book festival and kids will come up to my table to look at my book and perhaps get one and have one signed. And, you know, they're not afraid to say, you know what, this, I don't like this book. It doesn't look good. <laughs> and it's like, okay, good.
1: They are ruthless. They yeah, are. <laughs> what were some of the best books that you read so far this year?
0: Some of my favorite books are books that I've read with my Mm seven-year-old and it's the Jedi Academy series. I've never
1: heard of this series.
0: So the first three books are written by a comic artist named Jeffrey Brown. Mm -hmm. And the premise is it's kids that are middle, middle, middle school, maybe high school age, and they're going to Jedi Academy but they experience all of these sort of real world things. So it's almost like if freaks and geeks met Star Wars. So <laughs> I
1: love that description.
0: Yes. So the kids, you know, they go to, they go to school, they meet new friends, there's a bully, there's uh, another kid that the main character likes and has a crush on, there's too much homework, you know, there's the, the younger brother, sibling type of stuff, you know, it's, it's really, it's really a fun read and I love star Wars. So it was this fun way to bring in this geeky star Wars stuff. And I love freaks and geeks. (laughs) So it was a fun to bring both of those in and my seven year old loved them.
1: Nice. That sounds like such a unique way to sort of take something that's so embedded in our pop culture and then sort of actually bring in aspects of social-emotional learning and different things like that that they're going to experience in school. Yeah, Very cool. and
0: it was interesting because there's a lot of things that happen in the story that I don't talk about with my seven-year-old. Um, especially when it's like when the crush develops and they're talking about what a boyfriend is or a girlfriend and all that kind of stuff and I could ask them well do you know what a boyfriend is and (laughs) do you know what a girlfriend is and you know ask them all of these types of questions did
1: you read any other awesome books this year or are you all consumed with the Jedi Academy series which sounds awesome
0: Uh, right now I'm all consumed with the Jedi Mm -hmm. Academy series yeah
1: Yeah. Judgment-free zone. I mean, live your best Jedi (laughs) life. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: So Chris, thank you so much for hanging and chatting with me today. I won't take up any more of your precious alone time. It's so you can, I don't know, scroll Instagram or draw a picture, whichever your, your, (laughs) your brain and your soul needs right now. But thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to chat with me and share your thoughts with the rest of our podcast listeners.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. Uh, It was, yeah, it was a great time. All right. Bye. Bye.